Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Many of us have heard these words. They are the words of the brilliantly written uh, song, Zacchaeus Was a Wee Little Man. And it's uh, one of those songs that we teach to our kids in Sunday school. Uh, and it's, it's really uh, a famous song because of that. And the story that goes along with it of Zacchaeus that we'll read about in Luke 19 in just a little bit is also pretty famous. It's one of those stories that we love to tell in church that that every kid who has ever been in Sunday school knows. And the truth is that oftentimes with the story of Zacchaeus, like with any story that, that we tell a lot, sometimes the true meaning of it, of this story is lost as we retell it. Uh, let me give you a couple of other examples of stories like this in the Bible. Uh, one, David and Goliath. It's a story that most people know. It's a story that uh, that gets quoted a lot in pop culture whenever somebody is the underdog in a situation. But it's a story that, that many of us don't know the point of. I mean, most of us can tell you that uh, there was a, a guy named David who was a young guy and a shepherd, not a warrior. And there was a giant named Goliath who was humongous. And uh, David fought Goliath. And despite Goliath having all kinds of armor on and being so huge, David was able to defeat him with just a slingshot and five smooth stones. It only took one because he he whirled that slingshot around and put the stone right into Goliath's forehead and he died. And most of us kind of know that story, right? We've heard it before. Uh, But how many of us in this room could actually say what the point is of the story? How many people in here would be able to say that, that the point of the story is that David looked at Goliath and he saw that he was defying the armies of the living God, but he knew that as, the, as David defied the armies of the living God, it wasn't just a national thing. He was really dishonoring God himself. And so when David went out to fight against Goliath, he wasn't trying to help his nation. He wasn't being patriotic. He was saying, no way are you going to sit there and slander my God. I will fight for his honor no matter if it costs me my life. Most of us probably wouldn't have ever thought of that. We just tell the story of David and Goliath. Another one, Jonah and the whale, another very famous story. Uh, it's a story that, again, most of us know. Jonah is a prophet, and God says, hey, Jonah, in your prophetness, I want you to go, and I want you to tell the Ninevites that I am going to destroy them. And Jonah says, no way. I hate the Ninevites. I'm not going there because they might repent, and then you might not destroy them, and that's not what I want. And so Jonah gets on a boat, right? This is the famous part of the story. Jonah gets on a boat heading the opposite direction of Nineveh, and God sends a giant storm over that boat. And so, long story short, uh, the other sailors throw Jonah overboard, and Jonah goes into the sea and is swallowed by a giant fish, right? He spends three days in the ma- in the belly of that giant fish, much like Pinocchio, if you've ever seen that movie. And then God has him spit up uh, Jonah on the beach, and Jonah goes to Nineveh. But oftentimes the story kind of stops there. We just We get to the part where Jonah gets spit up, and we're like, that's a successful story, you know. He survived the the moments in this giant fish's mouth, and and we stopped the story there. But if you looked at at chapter four, you would see the point of the story. And there, uh, Jonah prays out of anger. This prayer is is said out of anger. He's not happy. He's not praising God. He's saying, God, I'm angry at you. And this is what he says. 
This is why he's angry at God. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so Jonah in his anger tells us the point of the whole story of Jonah, that God loves people and he is forgiving even to the enemies of his people, the Israelites there. Zacchaeus is pretty similar. Most of us know the things that we can surmise from the song, right? We know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Does anybody else, and maybe I'm crazy, picture Danny DeVito every time you hear the name Zacchaeus? <laughs> I actually thought about putting a picture up, but uh, anyway, I picture Zac- uh, Danny DeVito every time I hear Zacchaeus. Uh, anyway, so if you need a, an image, uh, Danny DeVito's your guy. Uh, and so uh, we know that he was a wee little man. He, he was short, right? We know that he climbed up in a sycamore tree. We know that Jesus said, hey, get down. And we know that Jesus went and he ate with Zacchaeus. But most of us don't really know the true point, the significance of this passage of Scripture. We kind of stop there and we say, wow, that's really cool that Jesus was that nice of a guy that, that he, that he cared about Zacchaeus in, in that way or whatever. But the point of the story is made really clear right in the confines of the story. But the, this part that I'm about to say to you is, is actually not uh, ever read or told when we tell the story. I hadn't heard it growing up. And, and, and you see it in verse 10. And, and there the, the whole passage's point is made clear because in verse 10, Jesus tells us the entire mission of his ministry, the entire point of his life, his entire purpose on this earth. That's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, Jesus... Most influential man ever to live, the God of the universe, stepped down here in human form. He tells us the reason that he did it in verse 10. Now, before we look at the story, and it's, or just that verse, I want to read this story in its entirety because it is a good story and it's important. Uh, but, but notice that all of this, what we're about to read, the whole story of Zacchaeus is one giant real-life illustration of the mission and purpose of Jesus. The story of Zacchaeus is not this story about a guy that looked like Danny DeVito in the middle of the Bible for no reason. It is there to illustrate the mission and the purpose of Jesus' life. And so as we read it, know that, that that this is an illustration of Jesus and what he did on this planet. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So, so far we're right on, right? I mean, that's pretty much the song. We know that part. But verse 6, it continues. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And now, verse 10, the whole point of Jesus' life on this earth. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a really unique, cool story, right? I mean, it just, it, it kind of has this little niche that, that makes us want to read it. It's kind of funny. And, and I think we can all connect with Zacchaeus in some ways because we all have things about ourselves that 
uh, that we that we are embarrassed of or don't like. And, and Zacchaeus has a couple of those. He's a, a tax collector, and so he's seen as the worst sinner of all people. He's short in stature, so he can't even see over the crowd, right? And we always picture him getting pushed aside. It's not actually in the story, but but I I, I think that it's probably pretty accurate. So he has to climb up on this tree. And so we all we all kind of see ourselves in Zacchaeus as this this kind of underdog in society, right? Being short is not a flaw, I would like to point that out, but Zacchaeus might have seen it that way, as some people in our society do. Uh, but uh, today, instead of focusing on the whole story, I really want to focus in on verse 10. Uh, because again, this is where Jesus tells us the, the purpose of his life, uh, the, the mission uh, of everything that he did. And it starts by saying that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, the Son of Man. And uh, for some of us, we think, well, who is the Son of Man? And the short answer is, that is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. And how do we know this? Well, if you were to go back to the Old Testament, the Son of Man was a Hebrew phrase in the Old Testament. And it was used oftentimes in reference to the coming Savior of the Jewish people. The man who would come on the scene and he would rescue them from their oppression and from their sin and from their hurt and all of the bad stuff that was going on with them as a nation. And it became known as the Messiah. And that's, uh, that's who the people looked forward to as the Messiah. When the New Testament comes along, Jesus, as he's living his life, oftentimes refers to himself as the Son of Man. He's calling himself the Messiah. And so the people that are that are looking at Jesus know that Jesus is calling himself the Messiah. But here's the problem. They were looking for a Messiah that would save them physically. They were looking for a Messiah that would rescue them from the oppression of the governments that had taken them over, specifically at the time of Jesus, the Roman government. And so when Jesus makes the statement that, that we read here, he is saying something that's really contrary to what they thought, that he came to seek and save the lost. I mean, they are thinking he came to start a new military that would kick all of these bad Roman guys out of here and defeat their army. That is what they're thinking. And Jesus says, no, 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 what you think my point is and what my real point is is very different. And here I'm going to show you what that purpose and that mission is. And so we want to look at that, and there's three main Greek words that, that we need to pay attention to. There's the word for seek, there's the word for save, and there's the word for lost. And I think a fuller uh, understanding of these three words will give us a fuller picture of the mission and purpose of the life of Jesus. And so the first one, seek, is zeteo, and it means to seek, to seek after, to look, to strive, to find. Nothing uh, really uh, earth-shattering there, right? Until you look at the other ways that Luke uses this word, in his gospel. Uh, the best example that I can give you is Luke 2.48. And in that, that verse right there, Jesus' parents have been frantically looking for Jesus after he disappeared from their traveling party. So they don't know where their son is. He's about 12 years old or so. And they've lost him. And they're looking around. And finally they find him sitting in the temple discussing the Bible with all of the, the smart Bible guys. And there we read, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. The word searching right there is zeteo, and it shows us a picture into the type of searching that Jesus is doing for the lost people of the earth. It is as a parent searches for their lost child. Have you ever seen the look in a parent's eyes when they can't find their kid anymore? Have you ever been that parent that all of a sudden looks up and goes, 
I don't know where my child is. It's, it's a frantic moment, right? And Jesus is using the same word here to describe the way in which he is seeking out the lost people of the earth. Now, if people are scared of, of losing their kids, they're sometimes equally scared of losing their money. And so let me give you another way that, uh, that, that this word is used in Luke. Luke 15, 8 through 10, Jesus is telling a parable and he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully, that's the word, until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus is not only saying, look, I'm searching like a, like a person who has lost their child searches for the lost. I, I am also searching in a way, not uh, like we should be searching for money, but in a way that, that I want to rejoice when I find what I am looking for. I am searching in a way that says, when I get this, I am going to be excited like a person who has found their lost money. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, I am searching. My first job on this earth, my first mission is to go out and desperately search for the lost. The next word, save, is so-so. And so-so means to make sound, to save, preserve safe from danger, loss, or destruction. In a Christian sense, it is to save from judgment as the consequence of sin. And to bring in all positive blessing in the place of condemnation to save from the penalty and the destruction of the sins that encompass people's lives. So Jesus isn't just desperately looking for people in a way that is waiting to rejoice because he wants to find them and know them. And it's not some giant divine scavenger hunt. Instead, he is desperately searching for these people because he wants to save these people from destruction. Now this is strengthened by the word loss, the other word that's important for us to look at. And this is the, the Greek word apolumai, and it means to destroy, to cause, to perish. It means to be utterly and finally ruined and destroyed, to be lost, brought to not, put to death. And the tense shows us that, that when Jesus says this, he's talking about the present place of people. It's not like someday they're going to be headed for destruction. Jesus is saying, I came to seek out people who are already on their way to being destroyed. And so when it gets translated lost, that's a fine translation and it fits with the seeking and I think that's why translators have chosen to, to, to use that word instead of destroyed. But what Jesus is really saying is, I have come to seek and save those who are destroyed. Those who are headed for eternal destruction. Now, when we read this and we look at the rest of the New Testament, we know that what Jesus is saying is, is I've come to save people from an eternal destruction in hell. And the reason that people are already headed that way, the people who are not Christians, is that they are sinners. Uh, every person is a sinner. We have uh, the newest person of our church over here. His name is Ryder Keith Nigley. I didn't introduce him last week. There he is. Angela, go ahead. Show him. Show him. I didn't introduce him last week. I felt bad. We'll wake him. There he is. And I want you to look over there at Ryder, and this is what I want you to think. Ryder is a sinner. It's the truth. I'll tell you this, Josh and Angela and everybody else here, they will never have to teach Ryder to disobey them. Never going to have to teach Ryder that. They're never going to have to teach Ryder to tell a lie. That's not something they'll have to say, hey, Ryder, this is how you do it. Let's keep his face straight. And They're never going to have to teach him that. They will never have to teach him to react in a wrong way when he is angry. 
The truth is that the disobedience will come and the temper tantrums are not really that far away, right? And we'll witness them right here in church. It's going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because Ryder is a sinner who is bound for destruction if he doesn't give his life to Jesus. That's the truth. And so when Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost, what he's saying is, I desperately want to save sinners like Ryder and everybody else on this earth. And the way that I'm going to do this is seek them out and save them through my death on the cross. You see, the mission and the purpose of Jesus is to come out. He came to this earth to look and to find people that are headed for hell, and that is every person. And so Jesus says, look, I'm not here. I'm not here to, to start some insurrection against the Roman government. I'm not here just to heal people. I'm not here to hang out with my disciples and to teach them and help them to be better people. I'm here to find the lost people of the world, every person in the world, and save them from their sins. And we know from the rest of the New Testament, just a few chapters later in the book of Luke, that he did that through dying for their sins. So the first thing that, that you need to hear today, I think, is, is that Jesus wants to find you. He's desperately searching for you. He did that by coming to the earth. He did it by leaving his word for you so that you can be drawn to him. And he does it by his Holy Spirit calling you into a relationship with him. He wants to save you. And the way that he saves you is by dying for your sins. He looked down here and he knew that every person was a sinner. From the time we were born, it is ingrained within us to sin. And he knew that. And so he knew we were bound for destruction. He said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to die for their sins. I'm going to take their destruction and their punishment for them on a cross so that they can give their lives to me and be saved. And so Jesus is calling out and he's seeking you and he wants that for you. And for some people in this room, it may be a day in which you need to say, Hey God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that. I recognize that out of my sin I deserve punishment. You tell me in your word that that punishment is hell. And so Lord, I need a Savior and I'm looking at your word and I'm hearing from your spirit that, that the way I get saved is through believing that you died for those sins. And so, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I think some people in this room might need to do that. They might need to say, I believe that I'm a sinner, and I believe I'm in need of a Savior. And so, Jesus, I give my life to you because I believe that you gave your life for me. For others of us in this room, we have accepted that gift. And we have said, God, I want to be your follower. I want to give you my life. And a big part of that is trying to live like Jesus. And that is what we are trying to do in a concentrated effort over an eight-week period. We're calling it the Jesus Experiment. Bryn uh, did a little product placement earlier and threw that up in the middle of the uh, worship set so that you would remember we still have books for sale. A uh, little uh, subconscious advertisement right there. And, and so we're, we're doing this in order to try to be more like Jesus. And here's the truth. You can't be like Jesus Unless you look at his mission and say his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And you say, I want that to be my mission too. For those of us who have given our lives to Christ in this room and are serious about being his followers, then the mission of our life, the purpose and goal of our life, needs to be seeking out and saving those people who are still bound for destruction, who have not given their lives to Jesus. 
Now let's be real and, and remind ourselves that we can't die for people's sins like Jesus did, right? I mean, we can't die for people because we are sinners ourselves and it wouldn't do anything for them. But we are part of Jesus' mission. When he leaves and he goes back up into heaven, the last thing he tells his disciples is, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to make new Christians. I want you to lead people into a personal relationship with me. I want you to help people understand that they are sinners and that they need a Savior and I am that Savior. And so if you are going to be like Jesus, if you are seriously going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then you need to be a person who says, I am going to make it my mission and my goal in life to lead people to a relationship with Jesus. That's the truth. I'll tell you this about our church. If we take that seriously, then the growth that so many people worry about here will happen someday. It will happen. It's not some magical thing that makes churches grow. It's not some magical thing that moves forward the kingdom of God. It's you and I saying, I'm serious about seeking out and helping Jesus save the lost of the earth. If we're going to be a church that's like Jesus, if we're going to be people that are like Jesus, if we're going to see great things happen that we all want to see happen, then it's looking at our lives and saying, I'm going to align my mission and my purpose with that of Jesus, and I'm going to seek and save the lost. So my hope for you and I who have given our lives to Jesus, who have made a commitment to follow Jesus, and that's what we do when we become Christians. Hey, God, you died for me, so I'll give my life to you. That's what we do. Uh, my hope and my goal and, and really what I desire and I pray for in our church is that you will say, my mission, my purpose will be to seek and to save that which is lost. We're going to move through this service today, and uh, the ushers will pass out communion. And uh, actually, we'll come, we'll come forward as a church, and we'll grab communion in just a second. Um, and, and we'll do that, and we'll sing a few more songs. And as we do that, I think two choices for you. Choice number one, give your life to Jesus. Recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. And say, God, because you gave your life for me, I will give your, my life to you. I would love to hear about that. Uh, if you choose to do that, I would love to hear that. But that is something that you and God need to work out. And the second thing for the, for the rest of us who are Christians, I just say, as we, as we think about what Jesus did for us on a cross through celebrating communion, Ask yourself and contemplate deeply, is my mission and my purpose in life right now really the same as Jesus? Is my mission and my purpose like that of the one that I claim to follow, that of the one whom I want to live my life like? If it's not, then I would ask you to, to have a moment with Jesus. And as you think about what it cost him to make that his mission, dying, bleeding on a cross, as you think about that, I would ask that you have a conversation with God. You say, hey God, please help me, no matter what it costs, to follow you in this way. Man, there's people all around us. And I forget sometimes, I go through periods, I can admit that to you, where, where it is my sole purpose to reach people in other periods where I forget all about it. But there are people going to hell all around us. And those, that apartment complex right there, there are people who are destined right now for an eternity in hell. Your neighbors, uh, there are many that are destined for an eternity in hell. In our communities, in our schools, in our governments, there are people all around us who are destined for hell. And Jesus' mission was to save those people. And he made it our mission to do the same. 
And we need to take that seriously. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to come up. It's going to be silent um, because I changed the order just now and how we were going to do things. And so uh, so we're going to come up. And I, I just ask that you take those moments of silence while we are taking this communion cup and this bread together. And you would allow yourself to either say, yeah, I need a Savior. Or you would allow yourself to say, man, I'm going to try to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And to take seriously whether or not you are doing that right now. And after the band uh, finishes their, their communion, then they'll come back and we'll sing some songs out to Jesus. But I just pray those thoughts are out in front of you today. Will you pray with me? And then we'll come forward. Lord, uh, God, we're not very good about sticking to our mission, God. And, and uh I pray that today you would change that in our hearts, Lord. I pray that anybody who needs salvation is still destined for hell uh, in this room right now would, would give their lives to you. That they would believe that you are the only way to heaven, God, because that is what your word says. And, and Lord, I just pray that your spirit would, would seek them out now, God. And God, there very well may be people sitting here right now who know that you're seeking them and they can feel you seeking them, but they're fighting against that for whatever reason. And and so, Lord, I would pray that they would stop fighting it and they would give their lives to you and, and be destined for heaven instead of hell someday. And, and, Lord, I think that you're seeking out others of us in this room that are already yours. And you're saying, hey, I've put a calling on your life and that calling is to reach others. And, God, I can hear you saying that to me again this morning, Lord. It's not something that you're saying to me for the first time, but you're saying it to me. And I know there's others in this room that, that are probably hearing that from you today, God, uh, as you continue your mission through us. And I pray that... Lord, we wouldn't fight that. We wouldn't run from that, Lord. But we would we would look to you and say, Jesus, how is it that you want me to seek uh, and save the lost? How, who is it that you want me to seek out, God, so that you, God, can, can bring them to salvation? And I pray we would take that seriously, Lord. I ask, God, that, uh, that, that as we take this communion cup right now and this communion bread right now and we eat it and we drink it, Lord, and I just pray that, that Lord, we would be and we would do it, God, in remembrance of what you did for us on the cross. I pray, God, that, that as we take these moments of silence that can be so awkward, that they wouldn't be moments of silence in our hearts and our souls, but they would be moments alone with you where we remember how much it cost you, God, to give your life to save the lost like us, Lord, the sinners who were destined for destruction. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for doing that for us, and we pray that that you would impact us with it even more this morning. We pray these things because you chose to seek and to save us out. Amen. You guys come forward and get this with me.